Hey, while we're making this transition, let's just continue in a moment of prayer. Would you continue praying with me? Lord, we need you at this moment. We need you to interpret for us your word. We need to be led by your Holy Spirit, not only as to this particular text, but as to our lives in this nation. And so we ask you to be with us, not just in this moment, but be with us as we go about our daily business so that Jesus Christ would be glorified and so that all of us could love so well, people will want to know from whence it cometh. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Before I get into the sermon uh, text, um, let's have a family moment. A um, couple of things. First of all, if, if, if this is your, you don't claim this is your church home, you can feel free to listen in, but this is just for kind of the Northland gang here. A um, couple of things. First of all, uh, every week I've tried to teach you something out of Howard Dayton's uh, Finding Financial Freedom just because uh, um, being um, close to the Lord with the use of your money brings you close to the Lord. Um, and in the seventh um, chapter, this is the verse that he, put, that, that, he, that he brings into play. I love this verse, by the way. Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. Now, I love this verse because it fits into what I'm about to say in the second part of this. But, but we need to understand that our faithfulness, our consistency is everything. I'm about to go on a uh, month-long uh, sabbatical uh, because I need to write something that will benefit all of you. And I will come back with that, but I can't do it in my daily activities. So July, and we've, we've lined up some awesome preachers for you. Um, but, the, but the point is the church needs your involvement no matter what season we're in. It needs your steadiness. It needs your contributions because the church is the hope of the future. Steady plotting brings prosperity, not just financially, but your faithfulness and consistency will bring you prosperity in character, in, in relationships, uh, and in your spiritual maturity. So I challenge you, I challenge all of us to that. That's kinda, kinda you know, my granddaughter asked me one day, um, if I could have my picture beside any word in the Bible, and I'm sorry, in the dictionary, uh, what word would I want to have my picture by? And I, I said, dependable. I want, I want to be that steady plotter. So let me give, just give you that as a word of, of encouragement. Secondly, we need to address the Supreme Court's decision on marriage this week. Now, as I say this, <laughs> you know me, I, I, I want, I, I, I've never had a safe ministry. I don't know what a safe ministry is. So I'm gonna say something that will almost certainly make every one of you mad uh, because you come from a very polarized um, culture, subcultures, and so you have pronounced decisions on this and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something that kind of speaks up for both sides because I, I, I see it from, from the perspective of something constructive and, and I want you 
to be able to see that God's in this thing and not to panic. First of all, let me say this. If you've been, if you've been awake these last few years, this decision came as no surprise to you. But let me reiterate to you the different roles between church and state in this nation. The, 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 there's a separation between church and state. That's because they have different roles. They have different roles in scripture, by the way, also. The job of the government, the job of the state, is to make sure that all of its citizens are safe and have, in this country, equal civil rights. None of us would want any American to be discriminated against within the law. None of us wants that, I hope, I hope. And so when you identify or when you understand that some of the, some of the, the folks in the gay community, and by the way, these aren't adversaries, these are our family, these are our friends, these are, these are, these are people who are a part of our country and of our churches. None of us would want them to face as citizens discrimination that would impede the normal legal processes that they would, they would have uh, the right to, ha to have with any other human being as they see fit. It's just part of being a citizen of this country. And we don't treat that as simply, uh, well, okay, it's legal. No, as you'll hear in just a moment, these are people. These are people. And scripture is really clear when it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Or honor the one who, who, who is, who's, who's in charge. And of course, if your government is not referring to scripture when it's making its decisions, it will make decisions on the basis of the prevailing culture. And so therefore, that's exactly what happened. Now, some of you who just got mad and wanted to stomp out, I'm glad you said because, because let, me, let me make the other group mad. The decision is not without its problems. It does not, of course, reverse anything scripture says. And scripture is our reference point. But once you just start redefining marriage, you're going to redefine marriage for a very long time. Because if marriage is all about who you love at the moment, the, you know, the, in, in the political, the, one of the main political um, um, go-to websites in the, in the country, the very next morning after the Supreme Court decision, the most read article was entitled, It's Time to Legalize Polygamy. And so, there we go. We're off to the races. As to civil definition of marriage. By the way, the government can only define civil marriage. And the responsibility of each nation's government is to define civil marriage. Now, the church, the job of the church is to read its scriptures to take those scriptures as authoritative. Let me just say this also. By the way, the, the sermon is very succinct, very doable, so don't worry about it. I, we'll get, we'll, yeah, okay? You're going, oh, come on! 
I know I'm wanting to go there too, but this is a, this is a teachable moment. And this is not something we're going to come back to. We're not going to be talking about this again and again. That's not why you come to church. Uh, and so this isn't, this isn't going to suck all the air out of what we do because this isn't, our job isn't to manage the culture. Our job is to follow God. And so, and so we're not, we're, I, but I just have to say something because I know you're wondering. And so, I, and, and so, so I'm going to say something, then I'm going to leave town. Um, <laughs> this, uh, the job of the church is to interpret scriptures as well as it can for what it really says, not for how it makes you feel, not for the convenience you want it to say, but for what it really says. And then to be obedient to the God of those scriptures as well as you possibly can. The job of the church is not to manage civil marriage. The job of the church is to outline the parameters of holy matrimony. And so therefore, you will have a part of the church that don't see the scriptures as this church does. By the way, I'm speaking to you not on behalf of the elders, but just on behalf of me. All right, this is just, I'm not. <clears throat> Some Christians see the, the scriptures as kind of inspirational and figurative and, and, you know, historic document and all that kind of stuff. And that's why they're fully on board with this. This church does not. This church sees the scriptures as authoritative in all matters of faith and conduct. And so therefore, we will live our lives according to the holiness that is portrayed in the ideal laid out in that church, in, in, those, in those scriptures. The definition of marriage is found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. One man, one woman. It is reaffirmed by Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. Have you not read the scriptures? A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So Jesus affirms that definition of marriage. That will be our definition of marriage. And that is, and that is what... <clears throat> We have no animosity toward anybody else. You know, we can, you don't have to be mean just because you're right. You know, you don't have to, you don't, or you don't even have to be arrogant. You just need to do what you need to do. And our job is to build a spiritual family living according to how we interpret scriptures. Now, will there be ongoing legal challenges to people who are trying to follow scripture because of this decision, absolutely there will be. Get ready for it. Um, and, and will there be legal challenges to people who are trying to live out their scriptures in their normal everyday lives? Absolutely there will be. Get ready for it. How will that come out? Don't know, but here's what I know. God's not surprised by any of this. God's still in charge. God has promised to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All right? Just say it. Just say it. And so even if it would get, I don't think it'll ever get here. Even if it would get to the point where people who are actually trying to follow scripture and live out their lives would become a persecuted uh, group of people. We started out like this, didn't we? We need to go underground. We can go so underground. 
We're going to do it really fast. And you know what? Church will grow like crazy. By the way, that's what the distributed church is partially designed for, is to not be killable. All right? Not be persecutable because we don't need to have a building. We can, we can, we can, just, we can just meet with one another. So this is what I'm saying. We love. We love people. And everybody in this place, everybody online here struggles with sin. That's the qualifying factor for even going to church. You admit you're a sinner and you admit you're struggling and it's no time to rank sins, all right? We're not in the business of ranking sins. We're all struggling here, but none of us are giving up the ideal that God has laid out for us in his scripture. And we're gonna follow Christ, doing the best we can, encourage one another toward holiness and love and good deeds for all the world. Okay, enough said. All right. Well, that turned out way better than I thought it would. Hey, let me sum up what we've been doing. And again, this isn't gonna take long and we're gonna have some prayer right at the end because we really need to pray. We really need to pray. But when we've been talking about the mission of the church, remember, I am, it's our identity in Christ, is us, we need a spiritual family to encourage us and develop us. For what? For them, there. That was the identity of God. He was an us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who came to them, us, here. And so that's what we have to do for the rest of the world, and that's why we're still down here. And to sum up this mission that God has for us, this is what it says in Matthew chapter nine, verses 36 through 38. And this is not disconnected to what I just told you, by the way. I want you to relate the two. And seeing the people, the, the word here is crowds, seeing all the people together, yet knowing what they were going through personally. Boy, that's a trick. If you could not only see a group, but imagine and sympathize with what they are going through personally. It says, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Let me, let me just spend a minute on this, this word compassion. This is really important. The, the word compassion in, in Greek or in Latin, it's wonderful because it means passion is feeling, com means with. So it means to feel with. I want you to know something about having compassion on people. It has nothing to do with feeling condescending or patronizing or looking down on people. People aren't projects. People aren't cases. People aren't someone to be, I gotta work on them, you know? Um, that's. People are people, and we feel with what they're going through. That's what he was feeling with here. The Greek word, uh, it's, it's a splunch nidzomai, splunch nidzomai. And it means roughly, um, you've heard the phrase gut-wrenching? That's this word, it's a very strong word in Greek. 
It means they, they've got your heart. They're dragging. My, my, my uh, grandchildren were with us this week, um, Isaac's kids, <clears throat> and uh, Ron had to go out of town, so they stayed with us. And we're really close. We're with them often and all the time, but they just stayed with us. And, you know, they're children. They happen to be brilliant. They're geniuses, every one of them. Every one of my grandchildren is just genius, genius level. I don't look down on them. I see them as powerful people made uniquely in the image of God. And when they're walking around, I got to tell you, my life depends on how it's going for them. You know this, don't you? You don't look at your children or your grandchildren objectively. Your life is tied up. Your guts are tied up with what they're going through. That's this word. That's this word. That's how Jesus sees us. That's how Jesus saw the crowd. That's how we got to see the crowd. That's how we should appraise people. Not objectively. Not arrogantly. But we feel with them. Why? Because they're messy. They're messes. They've messed up their own life. These Greek words in the original text, you know, sheep are dumb. Sheep are dumb. Sheep keep hurting themselves. How many people do you know that keep hurting themselves? They keep, and that's exactly what sheep did. If sheep... I've, I've talked to you about sheep before. If they lie down, if they just lay down and they just happen to roll on their back, they can't get back up. <laughs> Unless somebody tips them back up, they're going to die there. That's, I mean, sheep's, sheep are in real danger of their own stupidity or own inexperience. Now, again, this is not about people. People are smart. My grandchildren, brilliant. But... They don't know. They don't, they don't have a full-on shepherd. That's why we need to be, parents and grandparents need to be fully into their lives because they don't have, they were sheep without a shepherd. And because of that, it says two things. It says they were pierced, they were repeatedly pierced because they would run into these bushes and get stuck. That's what the word means. By the way, isn't it interesting that the Bible says Jesus was pierced through for our iniquities. He took on the places that we stuck ourselves, that we ruined on our own lives. He paid for those. He was stuck for us. But it says they're depressed. How many people do you know in your life that go through a good part of their lives, totally depressed. They're always looking at the, at, at, at the downside. I want you to know how, he, how Jesus saw this because the very next verse says this, watch this. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is, when he looked at this crowd, what did he see? He saw a harvest. He saw a harvest. 
When you look at the people around you, do you see problems or potential? That's it. Seriously. Do you see problems or do you see potential? Jesus saw potential. It's kind of like the old story about the shoe salesman that went to Africa, uh, to a village in Africa, to see if they could sell shoes. There were two of them. One of them, you know, sent back this message. No use selling shoes here. Nobody wears shoes. The other one sent back this message. Send us lots of shoes. Everybody needs shoes. How do you see it? Because Jesus sees potential. And by the way, the problem isn't them, it's us. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I want you to see what Jesus did here. And I want you to do the same. When you see something that that clutches your insides, immediately he sized up the problem. He thought, what's the problem? And what's the solution? That's the way we need to approach the life. We don't need to be drug around by, oh, this is horrible. We need to say, okay, what's the problem? You know, I told you about my little now five-year-old grandson where his his dad's a a doctor and he wants to teach him how to think. And so every time Luke bursts out into tears, he says, now, Luke, what do we got? And Luke will just straighten up. He'll say, we have a problem. And his dad will say, and what are we? And Luke will say, because he's heard it so many times, we're problem solvers. That's what we got to think like. We got a problem. We're problem solvers. Inasmuch as we are the resource. Oliver Cromwell, when he ruled England, um, they, they, uh, they ran short uh, on currency. And back then it wasn't money, it was, it was precious metals. And they were specifically running short on silver. And he wanted to, uh, um, to distribute, to, to put the, the silver out into the general population to buoy the currency. And so he sent this committee all around the country looking for silver. <clears throat> and they came back and they said, the only major source of silver we found was in the churches because they've got all these statues of the saints that are made out of silver. And Cromwell said, I think it would be a good idea if we melted down the saints and put them into circulation. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that's what the church needs to hear. We need to melt down the saints and put them into circulation. The laborers are few, Jesus said. It's not good if a government does that, it's great if a church does that. We need to melt down the saints and put us into circulation. We need to be sent, sent. But this is key. You don't go solve a problem because the problems are overwhelming and you can't change the culture and you can't change the world. It's too big for you. You can't even change yourself. You can't even fix you. Who can? God can, you betcha. And so what's the first thing Jesus taught them? Pray. Therefore, he said, we got this problem. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. 
beseech the Lord to send out workers. The first thing we've got to do is we've got to cultivate prayer. When we see a problem, first place we go is not to our solution, it's to God. To say, God, I need your help with this. I can't solve this. I need you. Beseech the Lord. See, God's got great things waiting on the other side of that. I believe God's got great things waiting for us on the other side of these recent developments. And people are all discouraged. I'm not discouraged. You know, God didn't retire. God's, God's still in charge. And so therefore, we need to go through whatever we're going to go through. And we're going to come out just fine. And so will the rest of the world because this is going to prune the church. This is going to get us into what we really need to be. But we got to learn to pray. And if you're not used to prayer and you don't know what to pray, sometimes you just need a little help. And so we got this prayer page at the church. Just, just try this. Just try this on a daily basis. If you go to pray.northandchurch.net, you'll see this. And you'll see people who put up prayers. I want you to pray for them. It will, first of all, get you in the habit of feeling for what people are going through. Because sometimes we get so caught up in our own lives, we forget what other people are going through. And going down a list of prayer that had been posted every, every um, day on the website will, will help you be alert to what people are going through. It will help you have compassion for them. Pray for them and then you click the heart. The second thing it does is it lets them see. There are people who come back on this. They put a prayer request up. They come back on this sometimes hourly just because they need to know somebody's praying for them. And when they see those numbers go up, they're reassured their spiritual family is standing with them. All right? And then the third thing it does is it helps you know that you've made a difference in the world and it gets you into the habit of doing that for whatever problems are coming into your life or our country. It helps you relax. This is what it says in, in, in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, and please take this, take this to heart. Don't be anxious about anything. Some of you are so worried. Jesus said, stop that. I got this. I got this. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with, watch this, thanksgiving. Why? Because you can give it to the Lord now. You can, you, you can know that the Lord's on it. The Lord hears your prayers. Let your requests be made known to God. That's the habit we have to cultivate. That's the faith that God is trying to grow in us. Dick Eastman was a, was a more recent uh, leader, and he, he said at one time, he said, you know, people use prayer as a weapon in their arsenal for war. Prayer is the battlefield. It's not a weapon. It is the battlefield. And so therefore, Jesus said, beseech the Lord of the harvest, now watch this, to send out 
workers. Send out workers. And just in just a moment, we're going to beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. But let me just give you a kind of a heads up. It might be you that the Lord taps. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to have three alternatives. And really the third one's no good. You either send someone or you go or you're disobedient. That's, that's what scripture, we've been, we've been a sent people since the Lord called our father Abraham to go from our father's house. <clears throat> that's what God has done. When it came to the church, it says in Acts chapter 13, verses two and three, and while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, in other words, while they were praying, and to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for, to which I have called them. And it says, then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Whether you got a t-shirt on or not this morning, likely you're gonna be sent at some point. But I want you to know that's the mission of God. And I want you to be alert to his call. So right now, we're going to do exactly what the Bible says to do, which is our goal every day. I want everybody to bow, and we're going to have what we call guided, guided prayer. I want you to pray along with the suggestions that I give you, okay, the, the prayer points that I give you. Everybody bow your head. All right. First of all, let's all just say to God a few of the attributes that, that we adore him for. Like, Lord, we adore you for your mercy. We adore you for your love. We adore you for your sovereignty. Just, just address the Lord like that. Hallowed be your name, Lord. And then I want you to do this. Ask God to show you the faces in your mind of some of the people around you that are really kind of ready for the harvest. They're ready to be drawn closer to God. Now that you've pictured them from the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I want you to say, God, what could I do? Could I be involved in planting? That is speaking a good word to them about you, saying a good word about Jesus. Could I be involved in cultivating? Keep coming back to them and developing a conversation with them about you? Or are some of them just ready to make a commitment? And I just need to ask, hey, do you want to make a commitment to God? I can help you. I can pray to have you have Jesus come into your heart. Are you ready for that? And give you the assurance of heaven forever. You want that? Have the Holy Spirit guide you in whatever they may be ready for. <clears throat> and then lastly, for a larger group, ask God to provide the resources that you can share to send others 
or to go yourself globally, outside the territory. Some of these folks will be sent just as you give your, your contributions and offerings, your tithes and offerings to the church. But some of them will be sent specifically because you're trying to send somebody you know. And you believe in them and you believe in what they're doing and you know God will work through them. So say, God, would you give me enough that I could help them go? Or if you want to send me, would you give me the direct, direct inkling that that's what I ought to be doing? Lord, we thank you that we can come to you and depend on you. We thank you that you are our only hope and that developing a church family that not only has each other's backs, but that encourages one another to love and good deeds, to be sent or to send others into the world. Lord, we love our church family. We're aware that there may be some folks even in our midst right now who aren't sure whether or not they have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but they'd like to. So let them simply pray this prayer with me. God, I admit I'm a sinner. And because of my actions, I've separated myself from you. but I don't want to be separate from you. Jesus, I know when you died on the cross, you took away the penalty and power of sin in my life. And you offer me a brand new life. I want that life. So let me accept that gift and invite you into my heart and ask you to make of my life whatever you want. And for all of us that have prayed that prayer, Lord, let us just pray the last part. Make of our lives whatever you want. Amen. Would you stand for the benediction? I'm not going to see you for a while, so I want you praying for me, and I'll be praying for you, okay? I knew I'd do that someday. Fall off that top step. That's why we got the second one. <clears throat> for those of you who want to get more connected that are in this room or in any other room, um, um, if there's a hub there, uh, go to the hub. They can connect you. Um, if you're online, you have a prayer. Um, uh, online ministers, Nathan Clark and Bill Gary. Um, we have a prayer team up here. You have a prayer team online. I just named them for you. We have a prayer team up here afterwards. Uh, if you came in with a burden or you need any kind of pr uh, he uh, prayer for healing or, or, or just somebody to stand with you, that's what we do. We're your church family. And lastly, on your way out, would you take a look at the artwork of the kids? Uh, they, 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 it, it's marvelous stuff. I mean, I can't, the kids did all that. 
and they had a great work, a great week, I'm sorry, <clears throat> learning how to use, use the arts, engage the arts to glorify God. Um, and outside are some of the things that they've done, so you can appreciate those works. All right, here we go. In the name of God the Father, and of God the Son, and of God the Holy Spirit, let's go out into this world as vessels of his love and as bridges to help people get closer to Jesus Christ. Amen.